This podcast is brought to you by Kaya FM in partnership with the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. The arts in South Africa, music and theater, dance and comedy, literature and fine art employ more than one million people. And yet this sector gets a very thin slice of national and provincial budgets and a modest share of corporate sponsorship. The coronavirus pandemic didn't create this situation, but it has hit an already vulnerable industry especially hard. How do you perform when there are no audiences allowed? Welcome to Beyond Corona, South Africa and the world after the pandemic. It's brought to you by Kaya FM in association with the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. I'm John Perlman. In our eighth episode, how much lasting damage has the coronavirus pandemic done to the arts and culture industry? What creative solutions will the creative economy come up with? Is this just a matter of economics or is the soul of South Africa also on the line here? Two guests join us for this discussion. Rotando Migogo is a former CEO of the South African Music Rights Organization and co-founder of an organization, Sosela Legal and Advisory. Rotando, welcome. Nice to have you with us. Thank you so much, John. Jason Goliath is a comedian, a businessman, a TV presenter and co-host of Kaya Breakfast. Jason, great to have you as well. Always a privilege to chat to you, sir. Let's first hear from Jack Devnerine, who's chair of the South African Guild of Actors. The minister himself acknowledges the precariousness of our position uh, because we are freelancers. And in his address on the 25th of March, he acknowledged then that uh, our sector will probably be the hardest hit. And the reason for that is because during the lockdown, not only are we denied um, a chance to earn an income, but we also fall outside the safety net of income relief. And this is pretty much what our members are telling us right now, is that um, all their attempts to apply for the various kinds of funding for the income relief funds, whether it's the Solidarity Fund, and of course we don't qualify for the UIF Fund, uh, and the, the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture itself started an income relief fund, but the bar has been set so unrealistically high that out of over 6,000 applications, 232 qualified for funding. Nortando, let's start with where we are now. How do you measure the damage to people in the music industry? It's a dire situation. Um, people are out of work. Um, and when you talk about completely grinding to a standstill, um, you know, this is what has happened. Most of the arts, um, whether it's performing arts um, or, you know, arts and craft, um, most of these sectors require sort of direct interaction with their audiences and their clients, and that's come to a complete end. Um, so it's, it's really, it really is is bad and we must also remember that the the arts sector um, arts and culture sector is not just the artists there are several industries that back up um, those those artists so I mean if you're looking at live performances you've got crews um, you know you've got stage um, stage runners you've got the venues in the in the craft side you've got textile industries you've got the printing industries and the literary side so the knock-on effect is is, is really big at, you know, how one could measure it, I think we'll only see afterwards where we try and quantify. But that actually raises or highlights one of the other challenges that we that we face in our in our sector is that it's not 
um, you know, the, the size and growth is not tracked as, as, as much as other industries. So um, we're always dealing with estimates. We kind of estimate that, the, like in 2017, we estimated that the value is six, 62 billion rand, but we're not tracking this um, as well as we should be. So when we have to um, quantify the loss, it will also be a difficult exercise to do. Jason, when a comedian takes to the stage at one of your clubs, all eyes obviously are on him or her, but who else is earning a salary or a wage in the process of getting someone up on stage to entertain? Well, you know, I'll speak, I'll speak for myself. My business employs a, a manager of the club. We employ uh, a number of uh, ushers, receptionists. We employ security personnel. Um, so there's a whole host of people that have been affected, and that's just at the club. When you move to, to, to our satellite office, we've then got uh, people in PR and marketing, people that earn their income simply from, from booking. So we've got booking agents that are uh, hugely affected, and that... that uh, I like that Natanda has pointed out, there's such a massive knock-on because it's not just uh, the comedian, but there are so many agencies that have suffered, eventing companies that have suffered, uh, producers of, of, of shows for, for, for television, uh, shows for the internet even. Um, so there's, 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 there's so many mouths dependent on these jokes. The solution that some people are proposing Notando is to stream things but that's a notoriously difficult area of the arts to actually monetize and one of the problems I would have thought is that streaming is something people almost take for granted and assume it's free is there any long-term prospect down the road if this pandemic keeps us locked down for perhaps another couple of years um, you know, the one thing that that will come out of this is is innovation. You know, we, we have no choice but to start um, almost educating and, and, and innovating and, and changing the culture um, around the consumption of the arts. So we do have a, a relatively healthy streaming um culture but to you know not not to the 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 macro levels that we would like but it's a healthy enough um uh, culture of streaming music and as well as um video on demand um so that's your netflix etc but that's also a small a small section of of our of our society but i i think fundamentally what needs to happen is that we need to get the consumers on board to understand that yes you may have been you know accessing um content for free in certain instances but right now we all have to hold hands to you know to survive the storm and if you want the music and you want the, the you know the comedy and you want the the, the theater to continue um, you need to help the industry by consuming um, and and paying for content um, online obviously the issue of accessibility and affordability of of um, data and, and online services in and of themselves is also an issue um, but I think definitely it's going to be a cultural change. This has to be a revolution of sorts. Um, and, and we have to monetize this on, 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 on digital platforms. The last figure I heard for arts and culture's direct contribution to GDP is about 74 billion rand. That's 1.7% of GDP. Just for perspective, agriculture is 2.8%. So let's not think of this as, as a small industry. It employed about 1.1 billion people before lockdown. Jason, those are the numbers, but let's talk a little bit about emotion. 
what will the audience and ordinary South Africans lose if live performance becomes something that they cannot enjoy for a long period, one year, possibly two? I think the main thing the audience loses is is the true e expression of the art. It's like uh, it, you know, looking at a at a reproduction of a, of a famous painting. Even though it looks exactly the same, your brain knows it's not the real thing. With yes. comedy, it's it's even more so. So comedy for me, uh, I, I and I think Nutanda will agree, is one of the most difficult forms of art, uh, simply because it is so reliant on the participation of the audience. So a lot of art forms, if I compare comedy, for example, to a play. A play is a rehearsed piece that is performed exactly the same way, whether the room is full or empty, doesn't matter. Uh, and, and an actor on stage relies on very little audience feedback in terms of how it dictates their energy, uh, their performance level. Where comedy, I always try to explain to people, the rapport with the audience is very different because we match the mood of the audience by replying almost in a conversation. So where the comedian will be talking, the audience is responding either with laughter, with oohs, boos, ahs, uh, yes. or silence in, in, in so many times. <laughs> in those uh, terrible moments, yes. In those horrible, horrible, horrible <laughs> moments. But we're, at a, we're in a space now where we miss uh, even, even those moments. And I think uh, it's something that I want to I wanna just touch on before we move too far away from it. And it's so easy to worry about the, the comedian. It's so easy to worry about uh, the singer. But what about the crews? We we are so dependent on these huge crews uh, for, for, for paying gigs that are going to come and set up staging, lighting, um, and all of those rigs. So it's, it's for me, we need the audience to pivot, but the industry needs to pivot. So not just, not just the artists. So now you've got entire industries of people uh, that there's simply no need for because streaming doesn't need uh, as intense a technical setup, for example, as, right. as everything else would be so it's it's a it's a difficult one and i think that for us we did our first uh, live stream in terms of a, a monetized show where we sold tickets or a pay-per-view set up uh, for the stream and the thing that screamed out to me was we don't know what energy to perform in and when i say that it's it's comedy's got a very different energy if you're performing in a small you know small stage to an empty room one energy small stage to full room is a different energy bigger stage requires a different and then you've got arena stages which require a completely different energy and you get that energy kind of from a feedback and a sense of uh, what's happening in the room what the technical setup in the room is like what the energy of the audience is and we're now just literally spinning rolling the dice um, yes. to, 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 to figure out the best energy uh, because everybody consuming is now consuming in a different energy so when you were watching my jokes before I had a lot of control over the environment and to help that environment be conducive for comedy, which needs a lot of attention. It's not like music that can be enjoyed in the background. With comedy, I need you to keep quiet and hang on every on every word. Now, yes. I don't know if while you're streaming, your kids are running around, which changes the your, your interpretation of, of my set, for example. If you're slightly distracted, you miss a word which is integral to making sense of the, of the greater joke. Uh, it changes that. So there's so many little yes. things that we've now got to figure out but I, I agree with Natan in the sense that it's not just the industry but the audience that needs to pivot to appreciate this new line of or new 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 vehicle of delivery. John Pullman is exploring the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on the trajectory of political and socio-economic development.
So now, Tando, let's look at some broad issues. What would have to change for government to properly support the arts in the future? Because, for example, this relief money that's being allocated is money that was already in that budget meant to be used for other things. Your view on government and what they should be starting to think about medium and long term. It's a long, it's a long thing that you're asking me here. Um, Break it up if you like. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the, the fundamental um, problem that our, our industry, the greater industry has, is a lack of formalization. Um, I remember there was someone who used to say we should stop calling it an industry and just call it a sector because there are few, um, you know, formal structures within the industry. And that's the, that's the biggest vulnerability. And that's what, for instance, for instance when, when Jason is saying that, you know, well, if you're not happy with the contract, we just go to someone else. There, there isn't that safety net that protects everyone as a whole. So I think government really needs to work work hand in hand, hand with the industry to create true sustainability, to, to undo the historic vulnerabilities that um, are the legacy of, of apartheid, really, where um, the most vulnerable, which are the, the actors the in, and, the, and the singers and the comedians, the individuals who are not the corporates, and they were taken advantage of for the longest of times. Um, so we need to create, government needs to, to work with the industry to create real social security, to create protections, labor law protections, because currently you find that other people are going to UIF, um, you know, to collect um, unemployment funds. But a lot of, of, of um, participants of our, of, our, of our industry don't have access to that because they just, they're freelancers. Even though they've been working with certain clients for a very long time, they, they are they are freelancers, so they, they are kept out of, of the social security net that a lot of other people have access to. What the, what the Department of Arts and Culture is doing right now in terms of the COVID relief, um, like you're saying, I'm sure that the, that budget was already allocated for something else, and they, they are doing what they can. But because of the lack of structure and formality in our industry, a lot of participants are actually structurally excluded or were structurally excluded from even participating in that first round of, of um, calls for, for relief because they, you know, not everyone has access to the internet, not everyone has the literacy required to be able to yes. submit an application, and th we don't have enough structure on the ground at Broad Street's level to help those those artists. And I'm using artists in the broadest broadest term, broadest sense of the term. Um, so I, I think that, that formalization of our, of our industry, um, taking, you know, uh, recognizing the individuals as, um, even if they're not as full employees, but allowing them certain benefits, bare minimum benefits, you know, that, that give them that safety. Those are the kind of things that I think government needs to, to do, because without that formalization, every other initiative will be an ad hoc flash in the pan. We need to structure this industry well and better. So, so, so Jason, a, a broad question for you. I mean, what should broadcasters and what could broadcasters do, not only during the current period of lockdown, but in the recovery period that follows? And I'm thinking, for example, of uh, changing their attitude to the playing of South African music so that the royalty component of musicians' uh, income can go up, changing uh, the balance of South African material versus imported stuff from the U.S. and Britain on television platforms. Have you given some thought on 
a, a really powerful initiative that might arise out of broadcasters? Well, I, I, I have given it thought because I think it's crucial. I think that if broadcasters don't take care of talent in the short term, there will be a lack of talent in the long term. So when, when we do go back to an inverted commas business as usual, where we can use studios and have live events and be part of, of, of massive uh, productions, you want to make sure that the, the good survive this time. So for me, broadcasters should be turning the knob to full support, which means play as much South African, as much local content uh, as you can. Also, taking advantage of the fact that audiences have lowered their expectations of quality through this time because they understand that most of us are now streaming and connecting from home. So very much like our, our breakfast on, on Kaya Breakfast, uh, both well, all three of us, Tabiso, David, and myself, are all not broadcasting from the studio, but the audience has given us a little bit of leniency because they understand the conditions under which we're working. So I've looked at, at, at some of the models that, for example, the BBC are using, where they are allowing comedians to create content for linear television from home, which I haven't seen nearly enough of from our local broadcasters. Local broadcasters are giving you the excuse that they too are in a, in a budget-restrained situation because a lot of advertising revenue was lost, particularly during the first month of lockdown, and that has then you know, kind of affected their budgets for local, local production, where I feel that this is the time that they should be taking a advantage of the fact that productions are going to cost a fraction of what they're used to. If we look at what, what Viacom is doing internationally, where Trevor Noah is still doing the daily show from his apartment, um, yes. and, and his audience have forgiven the fact that it's no longer in a big, beautiful, glossy studio, and appreciate the fact that he is still providing them content, even though the situation has, ham has hamstrung an industry, and I haven't seen nearly enough of that. I've seen interviews, so I've seen news channels and interview channels crossing to people at home. But of course, all of those are non-revenue generating for the industry. So for talent at home, it's all well and good that somebody wants to have me on their, on their afternoon show um, and have an interview with me broadcasting from home, which is very cute. But there's no invoice at the end of that activity. And that's the issue for me is, are we, are we allowing talent to pitch content that can be produced at home for revenue, which is equal for the time used? Notando, again, staying on the broad picture, what needs to change for the public to properly support the arts? One concern I've heard expressed is that it's great that content is so readily accessible. You can play music off your phone. Someone can tell you about a new song and you can click, click, click and find it on your laptop. But have we as the public started taking the arts in its broadest sense for granted? We imagine the stuff just comes from a clique rather than from a group of committed and passionate individuals. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think definitely, you know, the arts are taken for granted. Um, they are a kind of, well, nice to have, but, you know, it's not that important. And we've seen that attitude, um, I, I remember um, a couple of years ago with the tel tel telco companies where um, you could, you know, they were, they were using music as, for them, it was just as a part of their marketing and, not, and they were not initially really valuing the music itself and the content, not only music, but the content, creative content that they were making accessible and available. I think 
the public need to really um, hear the cry that the, the, that the industry has actually been making for a long time, that this there's a lot of value in the, in the content that we are creating. Um, and, you know, a couple of decades ago, this was very evident. If you look at the role that the arts played in the liberation struggle, it was, it was clear it was a very, very key and crucial role, whereas now it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, we just take it for granted that it's there. So I think for the public to really, what, what we need is for the public to really start recognizing the quality of life, the quality that music, um, theater, comedy, and, and visual art, and all kinds of art brings to life. It, it really is a quality of life thing. And, and, and COVID, that's one thing that for me, COVID has really highlighted is the things that make my life have more quality. So if the public can really start valuing that, I think the bridge to getting them to value the content and pay for content um, will, be, will be crossed sooner. Jason, it's probably the wrong question to ask John, a comedian. John, before, yes. you, before you ask, I just want to ask Natando a question. So ba based on, yes. what you, on, what, on what she's just said, mm. I, I feel like, I feel like there's, there's, we've, we've kind of created uh, a, a problem for ourselves. So if, if, if I ever look at social media, for example, at the moment, South African artists are in a position where we have to pretend at all times that everything's okay. You can't be a comedian, a singer, a rapper, an actor going online and pleading poverty uh, because that has a direct impact on your popularity and your ability to generate income. So when I, I mean, all of the celebrities uh, and people of influence that I follow, for example, even though I know a lot of them have empty fridges, still have to pose, still have to pretend that everything's okay. And, and, and I think that on one hand, we, we're telling the, the audience that we need their support. And on the other hand, we're showing them a new car that we can't afford, which, which for me creates a very big contradiction. So we can't uh, plead poverty without pleading poverty. I don't know if that makes any sense. Mm, mm. I, I, I agree. And I think it's the celebrity culture. See, celebrity mm. culture for me is different to, to what we're talking about. And celebrity culture, I think, is it's suicidal. You know, what you're saying is you, you put yourself in a position where people can't relate to you. So when you now are saying, guys, I'm going through this tough time, and we're in this together, you. no one believes you. No. And, and so now you're, you're trapped in your own illusion that, that you create. It's, it's a very difficult one, and celebrity culture is a whole, yeah, it's, it's a whole beast that needs to be unpacked. But it, it is also it's, for me the talking point. It's also the mouthpiece. It's also the communication. Yes. So that's the main, the main link that the audience has with the industry is through these, through these celebrities and the way they've, you know, yeah. been communicating. So, so, Jason, it's interesting that you raised that because that actually was going to be my question in a different way. And the question mm. to you is going to be this. It's strange, I suppose, to ask a comedian uh, about us all getting more serious, but you beat me to it and, and, and got very, very serious indeed. And my question now is this. Is this an opportunity to have a much more serious conversation amongst artists, but perhaps more pertinently between artists and the public who should be... Uh, paying in some way uh, for, the, for, the, for the richness that our cultural community is offering us. Is this an opportunity to have a more serious conversation and say, guys, every time you don't pay in some way for what I do, you're undermining my ability to produce more? It's a, it's one of the, it's a conversation that I don't believe in. 
Yeah. And, and I believe in the, in the narrative, I believe in its importance, but I don't believe in, in, in my industry as a comedian or the greater industry as entertainers, because if you don't have 100% buy-in, you've lost. If you don't have 100% of artists kind of standing together and all singing the same song and pulling in the same direction, you've already lost the battle. And, and I don't think that non-entertainers understand the depth of an artist's pride. There are artists that would rather die of starvation than admit yes. defeat. It's, it's, it's that dire. So you're now saying, guys, we want all of you to kind of put the pride aside. We understand that some artists are making even more money because they were kind of digitally ready and 4IR capable. And, and I've seen a lot of artists come out of the woodwork with amazing you know, ideas and, and creativity and content that is, is, is exploding and others that are unable to pivot from analog to digital. And unless you get all artists, those that can and those that can't talk in the same language, you're going to lose a big component of artists that are unable to pivot because of their style, because they may be kind of, I call myself an elder millennial, so I'm kind of somebody that is, is, is educated in both the analog and the digital way, but there are so many artists that are educated only in the analog way and don't want to embed themselves with this new digital world. I mean, no, Tando, same theme, but, but pitched slightly differently to you. Is this not an opportunity to have, um, coming back to the point, a wide-ranging conversation led by the arts and culture community with government, with business and the public to say, we've seen what happens to us in a pandemic, but we've also seen what happens to you when we're not producing. We need you to understand better what it takes us to put plays on the stage, to put uh, music out online, to put paintings on gallery walls. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that, that is what's necessary and that's what's needed. But I think the reality, the unfortunate reality of the situation is that the entire economy, all industries are, are obviously depressed because of, of the current situation. So it becomes a very difficult conversation for any one sector to say, you know, please help us to survive when people are literally struggling to put bread on their table right now. People are struggling um, to, you know, people have lost their jobs. So I think that's that's what makes the challenge even bigger to, even though it is a timeless conversation to have, now is the time to start that conversation. But we need to also accept and understand the reality that the, 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 the country, the environment, the world right now is, is generally depressed financially. Um, so it will be a difficult uh, conversation, I think, to, to really move forward in terms of engaging everyone else. It probably has to be one that has to start within the industry itself. Um, and then we, we try and bring everyone along, obviously without excluding them from, from the narrative. But it's, it's, it's a very difficult situation because I think everyone is in a difficult situation. So, Jason, let me go back to your business. I mean, obviously, people see the onstage uh, expression of, of, of the business you've created and, and the sector that you work in. Yeah. But I would have thought a, a huge part as well of possibly your, your business income, but certainly the income of comics, is the, the corporate and conference work. That, that's gone almost entirely. What, what proportion would you say of an, of an average 
uh, stand-up, if there is such a thing, of their income was coming from doing that corporate work that the public wouldn't necessarily see because it's for an invited audience. So, I mean, that's an interesting and slightly slightly loaded question because it's a, it's a difficult one to, to address. Um, comedy itself was, was suffering its own kind of depression because of its relationship with corporate. Uh, I think initially, and if we go back kind of uh, seven, eight years ago, Trevor Noah had done amazing things to make sure that comedy was not only popular, but from a cost effectiveness point of view, it was much cheaper getting a comedian to MC and perform at your corporate event than it was getting uh, an MC and a band, for example. So, so comedy was very, very popular, but as comedy does, uh, it hurts relationships because it's uncontrollable um, and very often unpredictable. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, we were in a situation where a, a very small, and I was very lucky to be part of that small part of the industry, was making uh, generally a, a much larger turnover. So in my business structurally, even though we owned comedy clubs, 90% of my turnover was still coming from my relationship with corporate. And what I found is those that were very popular are still doing it. So I've been blessed enough to still be doing corporates, but instead of being live at a conference, I'm now live as part of their, their Zoom or Google Meet or, uh, or whatever, whatever platform they choose to, to stream on. And I think that, that this is where we start to, to, to find, I think it was Warren Buffett said it very well, don't waste a good disaster. And this is a, a perfect example thereof in that we are still able to provide services but have to you know, pivot and create tweaks and, and change some of the delivery and also invest now in technical equipment to be able to engage with corporate uh, now at a new level. Corporates are, are in a position where before staff engagement was, was difficult and you had everybody coming into the office. Now imagine that the difficulties of staff engagement where everybody's working in silos from home and how do you still create a team environment and a healthy kind of networking space within your organization. So yes. what, what we are doing now is instead of trying to create the same product that we were selling to corporate before, is trying to understand how corporate's needs have changed and then on our, and my business specifically, we are now doing work to look at how we can start bridging those gaps. So where I would be providing you entertainment, we are now pivoting to edutainment so that I'm ticking staff engagement, motivation um, and other boxes, not just the entertainment box so that your offering to corporate makes a lot of sense. And at the moment, we have to do things that artists have never done. We're having to deal with procurement departments that are designed to get a discount and designed to, to kind of take apart whatever your offering is to understand yes. how they can get it to cost as little as possible. <laughs> so we're having to find different ways to justify the value of those invoices, but immediately off the bat have seen at least an average of a 50% reduction in rate across the board in the industry when engaging with corporate. So Notando, I want to talk about festivals now because the, the, the key thing for festivals from my experience of, for example, going to the National Arts Festival in Grahamstown, Makanda, is that this is uh, an input in, to an entire town's economy. People are renting out rooms, restaurants are selling bacon and eggs in the morning, uh, taxi drivers are getting more business than they've ever had before. How yeah. do we start putting that together again? Because I would think a, a town like Makanda is going to be absolutely hammered this year. 
Yeah, and, and that, that knock-on effect is, is so real. I mean, right now, the, the National Arts Festival is obviously online. It's, it's currently on at the moment. So um, I think the artists and, and creatives themselves are at least still able to, in a limited way, um, but still able to interact with their audiences um, and still put on the show. The show does go on. But you're absolutely right. The, the, the knock-on effect on all the industries that are reliant on such, an, uh, uh, such a big annual um, fixture on the calendar. The knock-on effect is, is, is terrible. And, you know, until, until we get over the, the biggest hump, there's almost no way that you can, for example, save the, the accommodation industry um, in Makanda. What can you do? No one is coming there. That's the fact. Um, and, and this is where we hope that the um, interventions that government has brought in are able to to sustain those businesses or to to you know have them hold it together until the economy opens up but that's the real dire effect that i think we won't even be able to quantify until until the next until two years time or so because right now the, the the focus is on quantifying the loss and the devastation to the immediate industry but all the all the secondary and tertiary industries and, and businesses um, will only really understand in about 18 months and when we realize how many companies have actually had to close down because of all of this. Jason, I'm, I'm stepping well away from, I suppose, artist performance and artist industry. And mm. I, I want to look at kind of artist part of life. My mind is very much on schools, the fact that as schools go back, extracurricular activities completely off the table. And you could be asking the same question about sport. But even though this is not your key industry, I'm sure you've got some thoughts on this. What are the potential consequences for us of maybe a year or two of schooling where there's no school play, where there's no participation in the nationalized Stedford, where the creativity of potentially a generation of young people is just given no outlet for expression at all? I would think as a country that's a potentially troubling thing. I, I, I want to agree with you, and the, the only reason I don't is because of TikTok. We, we now have so many more platforms than just the iStedford. Right. There's no creative. Well, I, I feel like there, there is, there's never been a better time to be a creative because you don't need uh, the drama teacher to like you anymore to be able to showcase <laughs> your talents. You don't, yes. you don't need uh, a big record label. So, so it, it, for the first time in history, we're in a position where you can gather an audience uh, to celebrate whatever your art form is literally from from your mobile so in honesty I'm not too concerned because if we couple the fact that we've got this uh, celebrity influencer culture going which is so strong on social media which creates that aspirational value of everybody wanting to be the next Jay-Z and Beyonce for example we now we now find ourselves in a situation where even if there isn't a drama class a singing class um, at, well in the future a comedy class you've got access to all of those things uh, online. So uh, if anything, this is, is going to create a slowing down because I think that the, the demand uh, far outweighs supply. So the amount of people that will find an opportunity to earn their income by performing and doing their art uh, is, is the supply is, is the, the reality is so few of those people uh, will actually get it. So supply outweighing demand, forgive me, where you, you're going to have a lot more disappointed people, I think. Um, so it, it, it may work in our favor to have two years of no drama class.
Notando, uh, I suppose a, a similar question for you, but um, I'm not as optimistic as Jason about the levels of access that uh, most young kids have to online and technology just based on an earlier podcast we did on online education. But what needs to be done in terms of arts education generally and in schools in particular if we're to come out of this process with uh, something healthier, something improved? Where would your priority focus be? My, my priority always is around you know, education on the, the business side of, 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 the, of the entertainment industry, which, yes. which really, for example, now everyone is trying to, to monetize or at least protect their work online, get it out there to as many uh, people as possible. But very few people understand what the legal implications of that are. Um, what rights do I do I need to get to get my to 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 you know put my song online if I'm not the only writer if I'm not the the only person involved in that in that song? Um, who else can use my work? What do I do if I see my my play or my performance on some random website? So I think now is also a good opportunity. I think for for upcoming young as well as established artists to whilst you know they're not so busy gigging to really get to grips with um the legal side of and the business side of of their business the the business aspects um because that's always a a, a missing a missing link so in terms of education for me that's always a priority because we can never have enough knowledge in that space and now with um, having to nav navigate the online space now with um, big um, tech companies also wanting to have more and freer access to content, you really need to be on top of your game to make sure that you are able to monetize whatever you can to the, to the, to the fullest extent. And, and just to conclude with both of you, I suppose the same question, Jason, the pandemic and the rebuilding that will have to follow, what's the biggest challenge, what's the biggest opportunity? Uh, the biggest challenge is, is surviving the pandemic. I think that artists were broke coming in. Um, and I, I joked with, there was uh, one of my, one of my friends was in the news for going after, uh, the banks for not uh, coming to his rescue regarding debit orders. And I joked with him and said, you, you, you complained too soon. And he said, what do you mean? I said, no, you complained in the first 30 days. So people know you didn't have any money in the bank to start with. You should have waited at least for the second 30 days so that you could blame your, 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 your debit orders. So for me, I'm afraid that many, many, many artists are not going to survive to the finish line for a number of reasons. Number one, I think that there's a, a lot of, I mean, we spoke to the, the Gauteng MEC for Health um, and my question was, are we communicating enough so that people don't suffer from pandemic fatigue? And by that I meant they're going to run out of steam before we actually get to the end of the race because nobody actually knows or is prepared for how long this race is. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, and I'm hoping that we get to the end. Those that do get to the end are those that would have embraced digital, those that would have understood that unless I find other forms uh, of, of monetizing my, my art other, outside of live, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. So my advice to every artist out there is brace for the worst, save every cent that you have to make sure you get through. Don't stop 
creating and don't stop investigating ways to build a community and keep understanding how to monetize what you're putting out. Because that's the big difficulty. I think as Natranda said, nobody's understanding uh, how we legally monetize content that South Africans at least are expecting to be able to consume for free. Yeah. And, and finally, for you, Notando, your, your greatest hope, your darkest fear? I think my biggest fear and the biggest challenge, Jason said it so well, is just the just basic survival. Like, can we weather the storm? Um, just can you make it to the end of the storm? I think if, if everyone can just hold on, that's the biggest win, um, making it to the other side. My biggest fear is that not everyone's going to make it to the other side. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a, a very real fear um, because not everyone will make it. Um, but the opportunities... Um, I think now, if you have the luxury to, to strategize and innovate, um, it's, it's, it's clear that the way we were doing um, business in our industry was, we're too vulnerable. One, one pandemic, I mean, it's a big thing, but it's just one thing and basically has wiped most of us out. So really strategize, be innovative, organize your business. This is an opportunity to really look at what you do and see how you can best um, uh, structure it um, to, to maximize its potential. And it's also a big lesson in, in financial management arm yourself with proper financial management because people not people do earn money you know um yeah. artists do earn money but they don't have the the knowledge or people around them sometimes to invest how to invest how to say this is a problem not not limited to artists hey this is a lot of us have this problem but artists of course more vulnerable because they don't have structured salaries etc and i think lastly it's an opportunity to build communities you know um the engagement that you have on your social media platforms now you, the importance of that engagement with importance of of really getting to know your your audience and community um, there's a very big opportunity to do that and if you can keep them engaged you'll have a, a much more loyal and much richer community um, when you come out of the pandemic and when we come out of the pandemic and to be able to really engage with them going forward Many thanks to Notando Migogo joining us, as well as Jason Goliath. Hope you've enjoyed being part of Beyond Corona. Thanks for your time. Thank you so Thank much, you, John. This podcast is brought to you by Kaya FM in partnership with the Conrad Adenauer Foundation.